Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm Alex Kruger, and you're listening to World Review from the New Statesman, the twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Thursday, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Today, I'm speaking to Gerald Knaus, the chairman of the European Stability Initiative. He's a longtime observer of the Balkans, and in particular of Bosnia-Herzegovina, where proposed election law has given rise to protests. It's more than 25 years since the Dayton Peace Accords ended the three-and-a-half-year war in Bosnia in 1995 with a deal that divided the country into two ethnically defined sub-states, also called entities, Republika Srpska, whose inhabitants are predominantly Serbs, and the Bosniak-Croat Federation. Bosnia is due to hold elections on the 2nd of October. The Bosnian Croats, who make up about 15% of the population, had been pushing for changes in the election law to increase their own representation. Geralt, why is this election law up for discussion and why is it so contentious? Well, the difficulty is if I start explaining how Bosnia is structured, probably I will lose the audience within a few seconds. But let me try to explain that because it's really fundamental that we have a a federation, essentially, we have 12 units of government with which elect their own parliaments, their own governments. 10 of them are called cantons, and they are really important because this is where, for example, education policy, health policy, and a lot of what affects daily life is decided. The cantons, the 10 cantons, are responsible for 40% of public money that is being spent. So Sarajevo, for example, is a canton. Then we have uh, the biggest canton of all, but it's not called the canton, it's called an entity, is Republika Srpska. Well, and I, I would already say it's not really a Serb entity anymore because in addition to 1 million Serbs who live there, more than 240,000 non-Serbs live there today. So unlike here, where I'm now talking in Belfast, where since the peace, there has been more ethnic separation in Bosnia after the war, a lot, hundreds of thousands of people moved into areas where they are a minority. So in Republika Srpska, that Serb entity, you have a government with 16 ministers and by law, eight are Serbs, five are Bosniaks and three are Croats. Now that gets very complicated, 
but it means I wouldn't call it a, a Serb entity. But the reality is the majority who lives there are Serbs. And the really strange thing, and that's the most bizarre thing in Bosnia, is not these levels of cantons or units. It's that inside the Bosnian state, 10 cantons form a separate federation. And so you have a federation inside a federation. And much of what we've heard in the last few uh, weeks, the discussion is not on the Bosnian state level, you know, where you have state institutions and a parliament and the presidency and the government, but at the, and not at the cantonal level, where most decisions in daily life for people are made, and not at the entity level of Republika Srpska. It's about this federation inside the federation, which is a very bizarre structure, which you could really question whether you need it. And because it is not that much needed for everyday life, it's a level where being obstructionist is very easy. And that's what we've seen in recent years. The, the, in the federation, the majority of the population define themselves as Bosniaks, but there are also a strong minority of Croats. It's based on power sharing, like Northern Ireland, but that doesn't work very well. And so the idea, which is actually, again, a bit bizarre, that there is a foreign body, a foreign appointed official, a German ex-politician. And the idea is that this ex-politician who has unlimited powers, not defined in any way, in any constitution or treaty or by any rules, that this German high representative imposes changes to make that level of government, the Federation work better. And if that's confusing to listeners, then I understand because it is confusing because what you hear is in fact that Bosnia is divided into three parts, three ethnic groups, they can't agree, which is very far from the institutional reality of a very decentralized state which in some ways works much better than people think, but which in other ways is in at real risk that people have reason to worry about. And it's not about the federation election law. What is it about? Well, we have, and again, perhaps to a British audience, Northern Ireland is a good comparison. Uh, we had in Northern Ireland uh, all, for a very long time a constitutional debate between those who want a union with Ireland the Republicans and those who want to stay in the union with the United Kingdom. We also had a period in which violence was used to try to enforce these visions by the provisional IRA or by paramilitaries. For the last decades, there's been peace, but these visions are still there. Sinn Féin, the big uh, Republican party, has not given up on unity with Ireland and uh, the majority Protestant population has not given up on stay, wanting to stay with the United Kingdom. Now, the result of that piece, which ended the fighting, was power sharing, which is very complicated. It's, it's easy to, to ridicule, to say it doesn't work well, but it brought peace. Now, in Bosnia, the reality after the war, the three-year war, much shorter than in Northern Ireland, but much more bloody, 100,000 deaths in three years, and, and half the population almost expelled from their homes, the result after that was a constitution that also has power sharing. But in addition to power sharing, it has decentralization. It creates this federal structure. And the federal bit, I think, works quite well because it means that most decisions are actually taken at a level that is not the state, where uh, very often you have zero-sum debates. But you still have these old agendas. 
So in recent, and particularly in the last year, you had a very aggressive rhetoric from one of the Bosnian Serb politicians in Banja Luka, supported by Russia and supported by Serb nationalists in Serbia, Milorad Dodik, is the one politician perhaps people have heard about, because he has been saying this state needs to fall apart. It can't work. We need to divide it. We've also heard from Croats politicians, Bosnian Croat politicians, that they are unhappy with the arrangement. They would like to have uh, the ability to elect the leaders that govern them or that represent them. If there is supposed to be a Croat representative in power sharing, he should be or she should be elected by Croats only. And that at the moment is not clear that this is the case. Sometimes, and this is a big dispute, the Croat member in some position can be elected by people who don't declare themselves Croat in the census. So the power sharing then, in their view, breaks down. And then we have in Sarajevo and throughout the Bosnia community, also different visions with many parties. There's no longer one dominant Bosniak party. Bosnia has as many parties in its parliament as almost as the Netherlands. 42 members of the national state parliament, and you have always had more than 10 parties. But among the Bosniaks, you have a a lot of people who think Bosnia only works if it's more centralized, and you end this formalized power sharing. You don't guarantee Croats that Croats elect the Croat representatives. You you diminish the the federalism and create more centralized um, control. Some would say Bosnia needs to get rid of all of these power sharing arrangements and just treat everyone as a Bosnian and not anymore as Croats, Serbs, and Bosniaks. Which, of course, you could also say in Ireland, and people here in Northern Ireland, people here say it, but that's a minority. Most people don't want to give up their identities. And that dispute over the future of the state, how it should look, has recently grown a lot more aggressive. The rhetoric, there's no violence, but there is a lot of very aggressive rhetoric where for the first time in decades, leaders, prominent politicians talk about uh, the potential of violence again, about secession, about expelling in Republika Srpska state institutions. And that, as we've seen in recent decades throughout Europe, where a lot of peace agreements or um, just truces have fallen apart. We, we had new war in Armenia and Azerbaijan. We have a new war in Ukraine. We had a new war in Southeast Turkey after 2015, new fighting. We should never be complacent that this precious peace will not be threatened because the rhetoric in the last year has been more aggressive than anything I've seen in Bosnia for the last two decades. How serious do you think the threat to the state actually is? Well, the key question I think is, will Bosnian politicians, will people who have a very different view. And of course, the legacy of a bitter conflict. There's a lot of pain, a lot of memories of atrocities and expulsions. Will they continue to agree that the only way to hold a multi-ethnic Bosnia together is through the constitution that they've now had for more than two decades that has allowed them to hold seven rounds of national elections that always, in the end, led to government formation. At all these levels, cantons, entities, states, will they continue to play by these rules 
Or will they see an opportunity by design or by miscalculation to fundamentally change these rules, to just break away, try to boycott institutions? Now, if that happens, the next step, and that is really what should be worrying, what we should be worrying about is, will there then be any form of violence? Bosnia for the last two decades, and that is remarkable, has not had any violence. The, the homicide rate in this society, full of people that have been traumatized, that have suffered, the homicide rate in this society is on the level of Sweden and has been for years. The Baltic states have three times per capita the number of homicides. This is not a violent society. You don't have walls like here in Belfast dividing ethnic communities anywhere. Nowhere, not in Priador, not in Mostar, not in Srebrenica, places where a lot of terrible things happen. You don't have this. It's been very peaceful. I, I think, I, I, I want to believe that most, the vast majority of Bosnians would not, never al allow any politicians to pick up or to talk about force again, armed, what the IRA called an armed uh, struggle strategy or a, a physical force strategy, because of course this would lead to disaster. I, I hope and I think what we've had in the last few decades is strong enough. But one, two things have changed, which are dangerous. One is, of course, the war in Ukraine and the new Cold War uh, with Russia, which uh, creates opportunities and a lot of interest for Russia and for Vladimir Putin's regime to try to steer tensions, to weaken the EU in its own backyard. So we've had Russian ambassadors a Russian ambassador Sarajevo really saying threatening things and trying to incite the nationalism, particularly among the Bosnian Serbs. And we've had for the last 20 years a vision of Bosnia that with all its difficulties and complications, there was a better future because it would join the European Union one day. And then the differences didn't matter so much. But at the moment, nobody believes that anymore because at the moment, enlargement is basically, it's stuck for everyone, not just for Bosnia. It's stuck for Montenegro, for Serbia, for Albania, you know. And we've had European leaders just in the last few weeks, President Macron in, in May this year, say very openly, we can't just uh, solve Europe's problems by always enlarging. This might take decades. So if you take out the vision that in a way one day the borders within and outside in the Balkans no longer matter because all these countries will be part of a joint common market, single market with no borders, with no controls, where it doesn't really matter so much. The secret of peace in Ireland was partly this, that the border disappeared. You didn't have to decide because it just disappeared. It wasn't visible. Um, if you take this away, this European vision, and there I think the European Union is making a huge mistake because that is really taking away its tool of influencing positively and holding together and, and promoting reforms in a complex country. Coming back to the immediate issue of the elections and the election law, which is what a lot of this discontent seems to have crystallized around, is there any serious threat to the elections themselves? Well, this is again not really a new issue. Let me try to explain it. In this federation level, you're, you're, with, with the 10 cantons, people will elect in early October 270-something cantonal representatives in the 10 cantons, and they will elect members to the Federation Parliament, and they will elect, but this is indirect, from the cantons, people for a house of people, like an upper chamber. 
which has a veto power on a lot of legislation. So you have two parliaments, an upper and the lower house. So the, the House of Peoples is like the House of Lords, but it's much stronger. It really has to agree to a lot of legislation. The Croat party wants to make sure, the dominant Bosnian Croat party wants to make sure that it has a veto there on issues that concern it. And so what it wants is to make sure that the Croats, there are 17 Croats supposed to be in that House of Peoples, are elected from cantons where there are Croat voters so that they can be sure that they are actually aligned with that party. And that's no longer sure. So the, the, they've lobbied for this to be changed. Now, I think you've heard a lot of protests by Bosniaks, by intellectuals, by the diaspora saying this is apartheid. This is the act of really a, a terrible uh, violation of civic rights. I don't think so. We have exactly the same sort of system, much stricter in the European capital, Brussels region. You need to declare yourself to be Francophone or Nelanophone, or you can't take part in politics in one of the three regional assemblies in, in Belgium. You have the same in South Tyrol, where you have, of course, German speakers and Italians and Ladino speakers. You have an even stricter system, or you had in the constitution in, in Cyprus. It, it's Bosnia's built on border sharing. So this is, it's not illegitimate for the Croats to say, well, if they're supposed to be Croat representatives, they're supposed to be elected by Croats. But they need to negotiate. If they want to change the constitution, they need to offer something. And that's where I think we are making a huge mistake in the international community to think, wait, there is a shortcut. We have this a German, this high representative, who can just impose it. And that's what we saw in recent weeks. Because this high office of the high representative, which 20 years ago, I also worked in that office. So I, I remember how bizarre these powers were that we had. We could literally do anything. We could impose legislation. We could change different constitutions. We could fire we could remove, officials. Yeah, you could remove people we from office. We could remove people. We could remove judges. We could remove politicians, presidents. Extraordinary. A really colonial institution in a way that you don't have anywhere in certainly in any Council of Europe member state in Europe today. Now, this, these powers haven't been used very much in the last decades. There was a high representative, the previous one, who didn't use the powers from 2011, 2021. Ten years, they were not used. But they were always there. And then he started using them. And now the new high representative has used them too. And this is part of the problem. That... This changes the whole idea that you can negotiate on constitutional change. You need to make it, make negotiation. You know, if the crowds want something, changes, they need to give something, which is normal. But that's how it works in Belgium. That's how it works in any federal state. And anybody has a guarantee then in this system that nothing will be imposed that is against their fundamental interests. But now the last weeks we saw rumors, because nothing is transparent, rumors that the high representative was about to impose changes, some of which, actually all of which I think are not problematic, but some of which really offend a lot of Bosniaks. They were very much against and protested, and that's their right. And some of them really pleased the Croats. They wanted this, but nobody knew would he impose it. And who anyways, if he imposes this, what else will he impose? Are we back in a situation where the only politics that matters is the lobbying in back doors, back rooms, you know, no longer smoked field smoke fields, but still secret rooms where diplomats and politicians meet and nobody knows what they discuss to impose constitutional changes. 
which I think is a very, not a very constructive way in a system that only will work in the long term if people get used to negotiating and finding compromise. But the people who have been pushing for these changes are by and large the nationalists who want to retain primarily ethnic definitions. And it's the people who say there is more room for compromise, there is more room for multi-layered identity who are opposed to these changes. Let me be very concrete. So these 17 Croat members of this house of people, the upper house in the federation, which has a veto power, so it matters. One of them can be elected from a canton where according to the census, there are basically no Croats. So that means that the assembly from which that person will be elected, nobody in that assembly will have been elected by Croats because there are no Croats who live there. Is that a problem? I don't know. But is changing that a problem? It's not illegitimate. You would have this debate exactly like this in multi-ethnic European countries. I don't think that is a, a fundamental challenge to the power sharing. Bosnia is built on the idea that you can freely choose your identity. There is something interesting that people often don't know, that in Bosnia, nobody prescribes who you are. Any person can choose when they go into politics what they want to be. There's nothing in your documents that says who you are. So I can go to one election as a Bosniak, and I can go to elections a few years later as a Croat or as an other. You know. So in a sense, nothing defines who you are. And that makes it a very unique system. It's good because it creates flexibility. It's not like this in, in Brussels, where when you go into politics, you define yourself being Dutch speaker or French speaker, and that, that stays with you for life. In local, in regional politics, you define yourself in the census what you are, and then public sector jobs are shared out by percentages to German speakers, Italian speakers. And when you apply for a public sector job, they look what you said in the census. You can't change it for 10 years. Or in Cyprus, it's religion. You can't change that at all, right? So if you're a Maronite, you are in the Cypriot, in the Greek group, you have to be. If you're a Muslim Roma, you have to be in the Turkish group. Bosnia is different. In Bosnia, you can define who you want to be. But that, of course, means that in a region where there is no Croats or nobody who defines themselves as Croats in the population, but any politician can say, I am the Croat now and I will represent, well, who exactly? And so you can see why some people say, wait, this uh, defeats the object of ethnic representation. I also understand those who say we should have less ethnicity in our thinking, right? And so a lot of people in Sari will say, wouldn't it be better if we just stop defining ourselves as Croats and Bosniaks and Serbs and just think of ourselves as citizens, right? That's what a lot of people in Sarajevo say. But, and there are people here in Belfast who say that, right? They say, let's be less, let's define, I don't want to be a, a nationalist or a unionist. I want to not define myself. But as long as most people do define themselves and most people in Bosnia do, and as long as this is then the basis for power sharing in Northern Ireland, as in Bosnia, as in South Tyrol, as in Brussels region, you can argue and make the case that ethnicity should be less important, but you can't impose it. So I actually think it's a mistake for the high representative to impose anything. I think it was a mistake to impose something that the, that the Croat party wants, but a lot of people are criticizing for this uh, with arguments that it shouldn't be imposed, wanting to impose other things. Right. And that is a problem because that creates radical uncertainty. Because if you know the rules of the game, there's a constitution, that's how it works. That's how you change the rules. 
And anybody who breaks those, violates those rules, it becomes clear what the violation is. And the, the major goal is to confront threats like the rhetoric from Milo Dodik, threats of seceding, threats of expelling institutions that could very easily lead to, to violence. That's, I think, a real threat of, of, of dividing Bosnia into, into again, taking bits of the, of the territory, giving it to Serbia, greater Serbia, bits to Croatia, greater Croatia. You know, these fantasies, which of course drove the war, on the side of radical Croats and radical Serbs, they are deadly. They are very dangerous. I think most Bosnians are not prepared to fight for this, but politicians use that. That's the threat. But everything below that level of negotiating, it's legitimate politics in a complicated multi-ethnic federal state. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print, or both from as little as one pound a week. That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's one euro a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Ian McEwan on wrestling with Orwell's Inside the Whale. Might we reasonably assume that there is no longer an inside to the whale? That the creature lies stranded on the beach, as whales sometimes are? That the guts and blubber and ribcage are on display? A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. At first, the problems weren't ideological, but practical, technical and quite, well, obvious and Maria Wilczek on Belarusian football fans who took on Alexander Lukashenko. After the August 2020 protests, hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. One was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search audio long reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. 
Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You mentioned the others the Jews and the Roma and other populations. Can you just explain where this ethnic division leads then? Because this matter went all the way through the courts. I think it went to the European Court of Human Rights and the Bosnian laws were found wanting. And yet still this aspect remains unresolved. Yes, that is true. And, and again, I think there is a lot of misunderstanding on this, but there is a real problem that needs to be solved. The misunderstanding is when people talk about Bosnia as like it's an apartheid state. A Jew cannot be present. That's not true because any, anybody in Bosnia can declare themselves. I'm a Croat, by the way, I'm a German Jew <laughs> or I'm a Croat Roma. You can always say that. And that's how it would work in, in Brussels. In Brussels, your mother tongue can be Arab or Spanish. You live in Brussels, you're a citizen. But you have to declare yourself uh, Dutch speaker or French speaker. The only two options to take part in politics. That's what it is in Bosnia. So you have to declare yourself for the elections to be Bosniak or Croat, to be one of the two members of the presidency from the federation. Or you have to declare yourselves to be Serb. And I know, I know Jews in Republika Srpska who declared themselves Serb Jews. And of course, they can run. But you're right that the European Court of Human Rights ruled that this, which is in the constitution, was agreed upon is in violation, but in violation of a protocol that Bosnia ratified, which a lot of EU members have not ratified. It's not the European Convention on Human Rights. It's a special protocol that goes further on non-discrimination, which uh, last I checked, Sweden had not ratified. Bosnia ratified it, and the European Court of Human Rights found that with this protocol, which goes further than what other European countries have signed up to, this structure of, of election is unfair. So you should be able to run without having to declare yourself in this way. Now, given that Bosnia has, is a member of the Council of Europe, I think there should be no debate that it has to implement that judgment. I would, however, caution against the rhetoric. You know, this is not apartheid. This is not racism. It's not true that a Jew cannot be member of the presidency, but it is a violation of a very far-reaching protocol on non-discrimination. And now there are many ways to solve this. One way to solve this would be to make the election of the members territorial. For example, in Republika Srpska, they wouldn't mind saying, okay, it's just a member from Republika Srpska. Doesn't have to declare himself or herself to be anything. They assume that it would likely be a Serb, right? Because they're the majority. But the problem in the Federation is that it wouldn't work for the Croats. So they say, we want the Croat member or any member to be elected from where Croats live who feel Croat. And again, that's not inherently illegitimate, but you can see why it is disputed. And the fundamental background to this is this massive distrust among, I think, a lot of Bosniaks that for some of the Croat politicians, 
having their own member of the presidency is really just a way of uh, trying to, um, again, pursue an agenda of breaking the country apart. Now, I, I, I don't see that because the reason Croats support Bosnia is not only Croatia supports Bosnia's integrity, it's because a lot of Croats live in areas where they are a minority, in central Bosnia. That's where I spend a lot of time. See, after the war, seeing Croats and Bosniaks return to their houses after ferocious fighting, they don't want Bosnia to break apart. There are some other Croats in Herzegovina, in the west of the country, that might not mind uh, if Bosnia, if they could join Croatia. But at the moment, it's totally impossible. So what I think would be the solution is a deal. If Croatia says we help Bosnia join the EU so that one day the border between Croatia and Bosnia will be like the border between Germany and France or Germany and, and Poland, you don't see it. In return, you help us find a solution that is in line with European Convention on Human Rights, where one of the members of the president is elected by Croats, but he doesn't have to declare himself to be a Croat. It could be a Jew from the Croat region, elected by the Croat region, like a Romanian, ethnic Romanian is president of Romania, an ethnic German is president of Romania today. I think there are solutions. And the most important thing is that the different politicians, the intellectuals and the outsiders who have influence try to propose and stress the importance of rules within which give and take on the basis of the European Convention on Human Rights and the Bosnian constitution and compromise and power sharing is possible. As long as people stick to the rules and know they will not be surprised by a sudden imposition or a sudden breakup, a sudden or the return of force, Bosnia will be stable and Bosnia will be peaceful. How has the war in Ukraine changed the calculus in Bosnia and how do people in Bosnia view that conflict? I mean, there, there seem to me to be quite a few echoes there. Well, if, if you've experienced, and a lot of Bosnians, of course, have memories of that war, it's a few decades ago, but people remember it. They remember those they lost. They remember those who were killed. Many have returned to their homes after they were displaced. If you have these memories of houses being blown up and people being killed and tortured and, and shot in cold blood, and then you see the same happening again every day on your television screens as we see in Ukraine today. This is like re-traumatizing people. Suddenly, particularly if in your own country, then leaders start talking. And I think most of those leaders in Bosnia who talk like this don't actually mean it, but they are playing a, a very dangerous game. You, know, you don't play politics with, on the one hand, saying, as some leaders have done, we will expel the unified Bosnian army or the unified Bosnian, I mean, the, the structures of the Bosnian state judiciary, we will expel institutions from the territory of Republika Srpska. You can easily see how this can lead to confrontation and violence. In response, some Bosnian politicians have warned that if Republika Srpska secedes, we will have 200,000 men on the arms. This was an interview given by a prominent politician, Baki Zetbegovic, in October last year. He talked about we could have 100 to 200,000. Fighters armed if Republika Srpska wants to break away. Now, you hear this for a year and then suddenly you see it happening in a European country. That is very uh, dangerous. And I think it's all the more dangerous if this radical agenda in Ukraine succeeds. If Putin 
manages to redraw the rules by changing the borders of sovereign states. We had an assumption in Europe, which is partly wishful thinking, that the era of wars in Europe has come to an end. After the Cold War, there was this hope which was immediately broken in the Balkans. We've had many wars in the Balkans in the 90s, but we've had many wars in the last years elsewhere. We had a war in Georgia. We had a war in the Caucasus, Armenia, Azerbaijan. We have the war in Ukraine. We still have Russian soldiers in Transnistria. We are fighting in, in Turkey, Southeast Anatolia. Lots of people displaced. But the war in Ukraine is more prominent and it really brings back to a lot of people and I think in Bosnia more than anywhere, the fear that, you know, what well, something they, they really thought was not an option anymore could happen again. And if then on top, you see Russia trying to manipulate or support the most radical statements from Bosnian Serb politicians like Milorad Dodik in, in Banja Luka. And Milorad Dodik talking about how we need to break the state apart, we can't live together, using quite, using really racist language about the Bosniaks. He, he basically says the Bosniaks are, are converts. They used to be Serbs, but they were traitors. And that's like, that's here in, in Northern Ireland, people saying the Protestants are planters, they're colonialists, they don't really belong here. If you have senior politicians use these aggressive rhetoric and then praise war criminals, deny, there's a big debate on the denial of the genocide in Srebrenica, which in international court found to be genocide, the, the killing of 8,000 people. And then you have politicians really pressing the buttons to provoke the other side by denying war crimes or playing them down. And then you see the war in Ukraine. That, that makes it all the more important, I think, also for the European Union to send a strong signal that the promise that was given to Bosnia, that there will never again be a war, that borders will become invisible, that Bosnia will become part of a peaceful Europe where war is unthinkable, as it has become in the EU in the last decades. That this promise is real. That's where I think we need to go in the debate on what to do. What, the, if any, are the lessons that can be drawn from the way the war in Bosnia ended for the war in Ukraine? In terms of <laughs> how did they get to peace? Dayton may be flawed, but it is a peace and it is held. It has held. Is there anything in there for Ukraine to draw from? Well, the first point is a very basic one, is that as long as the Bosnians military forces were winning, supported, of course, by Serbia and Slobodan Milosevic, the then president of or a strong man in Serbia, uh, they did not want the peace. It was when they started losing that it became in their interest to try to sit down and negotiate. And the parallel to Ukraine, which cannot really be very helpful in Bosnia, of course, this was because of an international military. It was when NATO intervened and started uh, bombing Bosnian Serb positions. And when the Croat army of Croatia started an offensive and there was a real threat or risk or possibility, as of course others would see it, of defeating the Bosnian Serb army, that's when they wanted to negotiate. So uh, I think one lesson is don't expect Putin and his to negotiate in good faith in any way, unless he thinks he's losing. Uh, but secondly, there's a big difference. In, in Bosnia, we really had three groups of, of people living in Bosnia. We had a fascist agenda on the part of the Bosnian Serb leadership, but their agenda was ethnic cleansing through terror, similar to some of the things we've seen in the east of Ukraine, pushing people out or, or, or forcing them to deny their identity. There was a reality that there were different people who were Bosnians in the country 
who, if you want to keep a multi-ethnic Bosnia, need to find a way to get along. So a very important part of making this possible was to have just to have a war crimes tribunal, which said that it's not going to be a matter of all the Serbs being responsible uh, for what has been done. We are going to go and an international tribunal will, will prosecute individuals. And it did prosecute Croats, Bosniaks, Serbs for war crimes or crimes against humanity or genocide. Most of whom were Serbs because they committed most of the crimes and most of the killing, but not only. And this individualized the guilt. Now that I think was hugely important for Bosnia. Hundred, uh, more than 160 people were indicted. All of them, if they didn't die before, were brought to justice, including senior generals, senior politicians. And this was really important. That's a lesson I think that is true for any post-conflict situation. Invest, this was very expensive, 2 billion uh, euros for this tribunal. More than 2 billion was spent. It, it worked for a very long time, but it was really worth every euro. And the third lesson I is that in Bosnia, of course, because you wanted to preserve a multi-ethnic state, you needed power sharing. That doesn't apply to Ukraine. In Ukraine, it's not an, a conflict inside Ukraine between ethnic groups. It's an attack by an outside colonial, former colonial power that wants to just take territory and suppress the identity and say, this used to be our colonial possession. We want it back, which is much more similar to, I would say, what colonial powers, European colonial powers did in the post-World War II period, when they went back to Vietnam or Indochina, back to Malaysia, Kenya, you know, a lot of these territories and said, we are going to fight to keep these territories under our control. In the end, they all lost. The French lost in Algeria. The French lost in Indochina. The Dutch lost the their lost. In Indonesia, the, the Brits lost a lot of wars and there were no shortage of atrocities in Kenya or Malaysia in these colonial wars. And what Russia is doing now, I think, fits much more in this pattern. And of course, uh, that's why I, I very much expected to lose. But the suffering it is causing is enormous. And the, the sooner it loses, the better for Ukraine. And the more support we give to Ukraine, the more likely this is going to come soon. So my lesson from Bosnia is... Sometimes when you see a really fascist agenda, as we saw with Karadzic and Mladic in Bosnia in 92, and they say what they want to do, which is ethnically cleanse and kill and terrorize, you need to confront them by military force, or you need to help those who can confront them. And then you see what is a, what is a peace on principles, including no impunity for war crimes, but justice for those who commit atrocities. Go Knaus, thank you. This has been the World Review from the New Statesman. You can read all our international coverage on newstatesman.com forward slash international. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate us or leave us a nice review. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. The team will be back on Thursday. I'm Alex Kruger. Thanks for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 